coming every week on podcast platforms everywhere. A podcast like no other. Listen to John as he talks about comic books, video games, and anything he wants. Every week is a new topic. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll subscribe. Follow The Basement Reload on all social media platforms at Basement Reload and smash that subscribe button. It's time for a reload. Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Psyche Saturday. I think we missed last weekend, so it's exciting to be back. Woohoo! This is our 10th episode and our second in the Cluster C personality disorders. And today we will be discussing dependent personality disorder. I am your host, Sarah, and with me, of course, is my co-host Dan. Happy holidays, everybody. And speaking of holidays, in very special news, today is my birthday. Happy birthday. And actually, at the time of recording, we are two minutes away from when I was born. Mm. Everyone's very excited. (laughs) Very excited household. Very excited. Yep. I am not going to say how old I am, but I will say that I am older than people probably think I am. So we'll just leave it at that. He's very excited. And I also want to send um, a very special birthday wish to Jake Gyllenhaal because I'm sure he's listening. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's my birthday buddy, so I wish him a happy birthday every year. Whether or not he knows that I exist. Oh, he knows. Definitely. He's, he's listening to this. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, lo- he loves our show. Mm-hmm. I also want to let our listeners know that we are trying desperately to get Mariska Hargitay on the podcast to discuss her foundation, The Joyful Heart, and her role as Captain Olivia Benson on Law & Order SVU. We have a petition going on on change.org. So if you all could sign that and show interest in wanting to hear an episode with her, that would be absolutely fantastic. And we will, of course, put the link in the show notes. And if we get her on, we will donate $1 for every download of her episode in its first month of its release to The Joyful Heart. 
So not only is this great to get information about her foundation, but we'll also be helping her cause. So fingers crossed our Christmas wish will come true. It's my birthday. Yeah, Mariska, come on. Yeah. She listens to this too. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about dependent personality disorder. How much do you know about dependent personality disorder? Uh, it's a cluster C personality disorder. Very good. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> you can kind of probably guess some of the criteria based right. on the name of it. I'm guessing that these are people who are dependent on other people more so than objects or ideas. Correct. Yeah. Cool. So according to the DSM-5, dependent personality disorder is defined as a pervasive and excessive need to be taken care of that leads to submissive and clinging behavior and fears of separation. In order to be diagnosed with this disorder, an individual must meet five or more of the following criteria. One, difficulty making everyday decisions without an excessive amount of advice and reassurance from others. Two, needs others to assume responsibility for most major areas of his or her life. Three, has difficulty expressing disagreement with others because of fear of loss of support or approval. Four, has difficulty initiating projects or doing things on his or her own. Five, goes to excessive lengths to obtain nurturance and support from others to the point of doing things that are unpleasant. Six, feels uncomfortable or helpless when alone because of exaggerated fears of being unable to care for him or herself. Seven, urgently seeks another relationship as a source of care and support when a close relationship ends. And eight, is unrealistically preoccupied with fears of being left to take care of him or herself. Individuals with Dependent Personality Disorder, or DPD, rely on the opinions and advice of others in order to live their daily lives. They seek reassurance and acceptance on an extreme level and are often seen as not being able to make decisions for themselves without excessive consulting with others. So is that pretty much what you expected this to yeah, be? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I would have thought, I would have guessed that these are people that more so require um, like validation than permission. But it seems like this is really about getting permission to do stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like if someone needs to constantly be validated, be told that they're good and they're smart and they're beautiful and they're doing a thing, that may not necessarily qualify as dependent personality disorder. Yeah, they there is one of the criteria that they need reassurance, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what you're saying right. exactly. I don't think it's that they need to be reassured that they're beautiful. Right. It's more that they need to be reassured that this is the good. This is what you should be doing. This mm -hmm. is an okay mm -hmm. thing for you to be doing. So, right. yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's that's good. It's it's about yeah permission to do something um, rather than validation to feel self-esteem it's more about permission to to feel secure so what is the prevalence of dependent personality disorder what do you think in the general population 
Knowing what I know now, I would lower my number. If it included people that just required validation, I would say like 85%. Um, <laughs> but let's see. Um, so people who clinically can't do anything without someone else's permission yeah. effectively. Again, I, I feel like I want to guess a higher number than it's really going to be. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to come to a number in my head and cut that in like half. Okay. And I'm going to say I feel like it's going to be too high. I'm going to say six and a half percent. Okay. The 2001-2002 National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions found a prevalence of about 0.49%. Shit. They're wrong. <laughs> I know better than they do. Now, 0.4%? Stop. Yeah. Stop. Almost 0.5%. Nah. Yeah. Nope. Half a percent. Nah. And there was another study that I forget where it was from. It was approximately 0.6%. So, yeah, roughly roughly half a percent is what is what is seen in the general population. Nope. <laughs> <clears throat> and so, do you think that the prevalence is high or low in the context of violent crime? Low, definitely low, but you're going to tell me it's high. <laughs> So according to a 2012 research article by Davison and Jenka, those with DPD are more likely to commit firearm offenses and violent offenses. Furthermore, they found that DPD individuals show higher prevalence among child molesters versus non-sexual offenders. While there is not much research on this subject and there is not much research on DPD in general, I was able to find some other studies regarding DPD individuals and their correlation to intimate partner violence as well as stalking. Loez Cormier and Perez Diaz wrote a 2011 research article regarding individuals with DPD and their likelihood to be a victim of intimate partner violence. Do you think being a victim is in the high or low range with DPD? It's got to be in the high range, but you're going to tell me it's in the low. <laughs> of their sample of 305 individuals, 108 did not have a diagnosis of personality disorder. 179 had a diagnosis of a non-dependent personality disorder. And the remaining 18 had a diagnosis of dependent personality disorder. So we're already starting with a very low number of victims who had DVD. Either I'm, either I'm just completely missing something or these studies are nonsense. I don't understand how a dependent person is less likely to be victimized. And I also don't understand how a dependent person... Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. You're not getting it. This is just... I'm clearly missing something. Okay. They had 305 individuals in the study. Okay. 18 of them are diagnosed with DPD. Okay, so... So it that has nothing to do with the prevalence yeah. of being a so victim So that's like 0.8%. That's, but it's just the people in the study. It has nothing to do with being a victim yet. Okay. I'm going to get into that. Whatever. <laughs> You guys are with me. I know you are. <laughs> half of the DVD individuals were male and the other half were female. So nine of the people diagnosed with dependent personality disorder in this study were male and nine were female. So they were split half. They found that an individual with a cluster C personality disorder, including DPD, had a higher 
likelihood of being a victim of intimate partner abuse perpetrated by their spouse specifically, not by a boyfriend or an ex, but by their spouse specifically. So they were more likely to be abused by someone they were in a committed married relationship. Well, that's the highest level of dependence on another person. Agreed. Exactly. And gender did not play any significant role in the risk of being a victim. So it it was pretty much split with male victims versus female victims. If they were diagnosed with DPD, it seemed as though it was just going to be the same across the board with um, spouses. Other personality disorders and the individuals without a personality disorder diagnosis were seen to have a lesser prevalence of IPV with a spouse specifically. So again, as you said, it's the highest level of dependence when you are married to someone. You depend on them whole, wholly for pretty much everything. Your, your, your medical, your legal, your support system, everything. That's what marriage is supposed to be about. So, so yeah, the people with DPD had the highest prevalence of being a victim versus those in the study who were either not diagnosed with a personality disorder at all or had a non-dependent personality disorder, um, specifically within their married relationship. So would you say you're surprised by that? No. Yeah, exactly. I I wasn't surprised reading that either. Um, It was interesting that I was able to find an article about it because um, there's not much research on DPD in general. um, So it's really difficult to find a lot of information. Yeah, it's, I think because it's one of the lesser diagnosed the least diagnosed so i i think that they just don't do a lot of research on it um which is interesting to me because i wonder if it is one of the least diagnosed because they don't have a lot of research on it and Mm. they don't really understand it as much as they understand some other personality disorders and not understanding it could lead to the potential of a misdiagnosis so i'm wondering if that has any relationship yeah totally So Douglas and Dutton wrote a 2001 article about the correlation between stalking and domestic violence and touched on personality disorders within their research literature review. What they found was of the 17 non-psychotic stalkers profiled in research from 1997, three were diagnosed with dependent personality disorder and two had dependent traits. So again, it's already a very low percentage, two out of two or and three out of the 17. Furthermore, according to Dutton, when it came to domestic violence, what is said to be over-controlled batterers with dependent attachment styles were less prevalent than the more impulsive abusers. So they're saying that generally abusers with DPD are fewer than those who have other personality disorders. But again, the victims generally are going to have DPD more so than the abusers are going to, which makes sense. Yeah. And when they looked at the correlation between the two, stalking and domestic violence, they found that intimate stalkers had commonalities including prior domestic violence incidents as well as dependent, avoided, and schizoid personality traits. 
Through empirical data examined by Douglas and Dutton, they found that these intimate stalkers tend to stalk their previous intimate partners. So again, it it seems that the more involved the relationship, the more intimate the relationship, the higher the prevalence of DPD on both sides. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Right? Yeah, if you're if you're if you have a def- a dependent personality, then you're more likely to put yourself into a situation of dependence. Right, exactly. You, you crave that situation. Exactly. So. And I, I think it's interesting with, with stalkers in general, um, with, with this type of personality disorder, because one of the criteria was that when they are, when they find themselves to have been released essentially from a significant relationship, they immediately jump into a new one because, again, they need to have that dependence on someone. So I feel like that could be a part of why they stalk the people that they've had an intimate relationship with because they're not ready to let go of that dependence on that person. So they haven't yet found a new person to cling to. So they're continuing that clinging and that that leechy behavior um, on that person that they were already so dependent on in the past. While we do not know much about dependent personality disorder, as it is one of the most understudied personality disorders, we do understand a little about risk factors for developing the disorder. What do you think some risk factors might be? For developing the disorder? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I would guess that the first question you'd have to ask is how how contributory nature is versus nurture to a disorder like this. And I would tend to think this is the kind of thing that's very much nature more so than nurture. I feel like this is the kind of thing that your brain is is developed to be predisposed to this condition. But, I, you know, um, so... What factors in your life could contribute to you developing this disorder? Um, Obviously, someone who has a broken home. So let's say that your parents are split and you live with, in particular, I would say if you live with your mom and your dad is gone, especially if you're a male, you're dependent on that male uh, figure, which isn't in your life. So you may become overly dependent on your mom. And then when she has to go to work, it feels terrible for you, um, you know. So I would think someone like that, um, potentially the kind of people, and I don't know if this is a chicken and the egg kind of scenario, people who can never be alone have to be in relationships. As soon as they break up with someone, they have to get into another relationship. But like I said, that's like chicken and egg because I figure they probably exhibit that behavior because of the presence of the disorder within their mind. But maybe if they are absent of the disorder and then find themselves behaving in this way, this may contribute to development of the disorder. You know, if you're the kind of person that, you know, you have your first boyfriend or girlfriend when you're 14 um, and you continue to have relationships and then go through a significant period of being single and like can't handle it, that I would imagine could potentially contribute to the development of the disorder. Um, yeah, you know, or, or a similar thing with, with like occupation, somebody who's always had a job, they got a job when they were 
eight delivering papers and they always had some kind of job and then maybe lose, you know, they have a career for like 10 years and then lose that career and they're left sitting at home doing nothing, that may cause them to become dependent on others because they're like, well, I had this thing that was fulfilling and now I have nothing. I have a big hole in my life. So now I'm going to, you know, if you're if you're married, you go to your spouse and say, oh, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? Hey, we should do this. Hey, we should do that. And they're just like, whoa, this was never you. You were always, here was work time. Here was home time, whatever. So yeah, I mean, I would think, I mean, it may sound like I'm oversimplifying, but anybody who had a significant portion of their life dedicated to a thing which was then removed from their life, could cause them to become dependent. Yeah. Um, so you did mention nature versus nurture, and the pri- primarily what you just said, though, was a lot of nurture. Nurture rather than nature. Yeah, because that's, I, I, I that's what I was, yeah. That okay. was my point. I was trying to look at the psychological rather than the neurological effects. Because w- what neurological effects okay, could contribute to Okay, because you originally said you would think that yeah, nature. That's what I'm saying. I would, I would think that these things are less likely to push someone into developing a personality disorder like this versus getting hit on the head or having a drug overdose or something which alters your brain chemistry. I would think that your, your neurological structure and chemistry are more likely to cause you to have these disorders. But what things in your life could cause them, I would think these things would be. Got it. And I guess that actually kind of makes sense then why the prevalence of the disorder is so low. Because people, I would think, in general, from having done a bunch of these kinds of episodes, um, I would think that personality disorders um, tend to be the kinds of things that can be caused by nurture versus nature, that can be caused by life events rather than fundamental neurochemistry. And this one, since I'm saying I feel like, this one, since I'm saying I feel like it is mostly a neurochemistry thing, that would support the theory, or that is to say, that theory would be supporting the fact that the prevalence is so low. Because you're less likely to develop a disorder which is principally neurological and neurochemical throughout your life yeah, no, I absolutely, I get exactly what you're saying. So, um, Ampolini et al. wrote family environment, social learning, severe childhood illness, and biological predisposition have all been implicated as playing a role in its development in their 1999 study. So, they're saying all of the above. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it can be nature versus nurture. It can be them in, in conjunction with one another. Um, it, it, exactly. So it, it can really be like most other um, mental disorders. It can be the way that you are brought up, but it can also be a predisposition in the sense that if you have a family member who suffered from it, you may also then. And that could potentially be because of genetics and biology. But also, according to Alexander's 1993 study, significant childhood trauma such as sexual abuse could also play a role in the development of DPD. I personally could not find any information regarding the neuroscience or neurobiology in association with DPD. So the majority of what I was finding was more nurture um, versus nature, which is exactly to your point, that could be why we're seeing such a low prevalence, um, because we don't really still understand if neuro 
biology is playing a significant enough role in the development of this of this disorder and again we we just we don't have enough research behind it um to to say not definitively because you never can but to say with more certainty that that is what creates a a an individual with with dpd so who do we know that may have suffered from this disorder. So when I searched for famous people with DPD, not many came up. Not many people came up. Uh, The people that did come up, of course, were, you know, like serial killers and things like that. But a lot of them, it was because, you know, their defense team was saying they have DPD. So it's kind of like, oh, well, the defense is that they were dependent on someone and they were influenced to do it and, you know, such and such. However, that is the case for this person that I'm about to discuss, but I think that it is more realistic for this person than for the others that I was reading about. So Deborah Brown, who was the accomplice to serial killer Alton Coleman, had been diagnosed with DPD. Deborah Brown, one of 11 children, is borderline intellectually disabled, suffered head trauma as a child, and was diagnosed with dependent personality disorder by a psychiatrist. She was engaged to another man when she met Coleman in 1983, but left her family and moved in with him shortly afterwards. Although a willing participant in Coleman's assaults and murders, Brown had no history of violence or any criminal history prior to their relationship. Originally, Brown had been sentenced to be executed, but her sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, citing her low IQ and her, quote, master-slave relationship with Coleman, as she claimed this influenced her actions significantly. So, like I said, sometimes it's used as, like, essentially an excuse by the defense psychiatrist who's up on the stand testifying, saying, oh, yeah, I, I diagnosed them with this because they showed, you know, what, however many of the traits, however many of the criteria, and it's a, a, pl- a ploy to the jury to make them think that they were influenced significantly to, to, to do these crimes and not take responsibility for their actions. But in in Deborah Brown's case, I really truly believe that she was probably somebody who fell into the category of DPD and was very much influenced by Coleman to partake in these. Um, She really was intellectually disabled, Um, you know, coming from a home with 11 children, she may not have had the um, the love and nurturing that she should have had as a child. Uh, you know, she may have been neglected. So developing DPD could have been a natural progression, unfortunately, for her. Um, so it, it makes sense in this case. And I, I truly believe that she probably does fall into that category. However, and I'm not saying that Carla Homolka was diagnosed with DPD, but like in cases like that, I truly don't believe that Carla Homolka was significantly manipulated by Paul Bernardo um, to commit the crimes that she did. I think that she was a 100% willing participant and did it because she was sadistic. 
uh, period. And they are the Ken and Barbie killers from Canada. I, I've mentioned them to you before. Um, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Carla Homolka is the most hated woman in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> um, she is out of prison now. I have mentioned that to you. She changed her name. There actually was an article that just came out the other day that um, my Canadian friend from Pod Jerky, Tom, um, he and I discuss her quite a bit because, again, she is the most hated person in Canada. So I, I talk to him about Canadian true crime a lot. Um, and he, the first thing that he noticed in that article was that she's been able to volunteer at schools. And that mm. was the thing that he mentioned to yeah, me. He's like, how is she allowed to be uh, your children? That shouldn't be allowed. And they know damn who well she who is she is what she's on, yeah. yeah um but it's it's that thing where the court system believed that she was so manipulated by him um because she had claimed that she was sexually abused by him which i don't doubt i mean he was a horrible person but i really think that she was wanting to do the things that they did to to their victims right I don't think it was solely because she, because of the abuse that she endured by him. I, I really think that she wanted to do these things, um, that she was just as sadistic as he was. But again, I, I, I have not seen anything that said that she had been diagnosed with DVD or anything like that. But I'm just saying that there are some people who try to use things like that as their defense to make it look like they were not willing to participate in the acts when indeed they actually were. But of course, not all who suffer from this disorder are violent, and in fact, the majority are not, as we see with pretty much every disorder we discuss. Some sources claim, and this is just a claim, this is not anyone that has diagnosed him specifically. I have not found anything that has said that he has been diagnosed, but this is just a claim that David Beckham may suffer from dependent personality really? disorder. Yeah. David Beckham, huh? Yes. I wouldn't have guessed. I know. Why? I thought that that was very interesting. So the article that I read, which I, I put the source in, in the show notes, said that he apparently has a very clingy relationship to Victoria, which I did okay. not know about. I yeah. was unaware. I just thought that they were in a really loving... <laughs> And he's, and he's such like a like a man's man yeah. i wouldn't expect him to be dependent yeah. on someone but um <laughs> yeah it said it, it, that's what they they said and obviously that's just one of the criteria so it's not necessarily that that one thing is gonna say that he definitely has this disorder um but yeah apparently he's he's very they use the word clingy towards towards his wife huh. interesting um yeah, I thought that was interesting. And it makes me curious to know if she has a hand in in decision making on um, his sponsorship deals and things like that, which I never would have assumed. But now I'm now I'm curious to know. I mean, obviously, in a marriage, you're going to want to bounce ideas off of your spouse. That's just kind of part of the point of being married <laughs> so like i'm sure he goes home and he's like hey i got this offer to do you know a rolex commercial like do you think that i should take it it's this much money and and you know we're gonna film for two days in wherever and most of the time i'm sure she's like yeah definitely <laughs> you know um i wouldn't expect them to be the kind of couple that's like no don't do it i don't want you to do that like but i wonder if he and I want to say values her opinion 
in a more significant way than what you would ordinarily assume with a married couple. So, right. Yeah. I would be really curious to know if that's how that works in their marriage, but we don't know. So other than that, I could not find any information regarding those who have been diagnosed with DPD. And again, it is very, again, again, <laughs> it's very, I'm very Southern now, apparently. It's a very un, uh, underdiagnosed disorder. <laughs> again, it is a very under-researched disorder and is not significantly prevalent among the general population. Any final words for today's episode? No, not really. I mean, no. No. Did this really. did this kind of just solidify what you expected from DPD when you heard dependent yeah, much. personality yeah, disorder? Yeah, pretty much. I was surprised with some of the statistics. I feel like they're totally wrong. I'm going to write my own study. Um, but uh, I was surprised about David Beckham. But I guess that just kind of... We'll try that again. I just that... Jesus Christmas. <laughs> I guess that just kind of goes to show you that you can't judge a brain by its body. Correct. I like that. Can't judge a brain by its body. Oh, man, that's going to be our sign off now. <laughs> Perfect. Making shirts. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? That's it. That was gold. What that was gold. For? We're done. End. <laughs> Bye. No. Um... <laughs> So that is it for this episode of Psyche Saturday. Um, that is the second of three cluster C personality disorders. So next week will be our last of the cluster C's and it will be the last of a personality disorder grouping. So that's exciting. Um, and that's, that's the end of all of them or no? There's, is there another cluster? Because we've that's done it. A, B, and now C. So yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's all the personality so we're, disorders. We're going to finish the personality disorders. Yeah, we disorders. will finish the personality wow. disorders next week. Yeah. Um, and what then What else are we going to do with our Saturdays? Well, we're going to start on a new a new uh, uh, grouping of disorders and, and cool. see where we go with that. Um, there are quite a few, as you can see how large the DSM is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll be doing this for a while, I think. <laughs> um. And of course, you know, people have recommended to us what they would like to hear about. So I think that we'll go into something. Um, I, I have something that I want to do, I think, for January, which I think will be perfect because it should be the day after New Year's Day for our, our our first Psyche Saturday that is not a personality disorder. So I think I know where we're going to go. Uh -huh. Um because January is Stalking Awareness Month. And we are going to cover cases all through the month of January regarding stalking. I'm in talks right now to have somebody on to discuss their survivor story um, as a victim of stalking. And I think that we're going to possibly do the Psyche Saturday the weekend that we do their survivor story about the potential of what their stalker has been diagnosed with. So we'll see how that, how that plays out. Fingers crossed that that works out the way that we want it to. Yeah. All right. So um, please be sure to check out our website, blackbirdadvocacy.com, where you can shop our new merchandise to help support our cause and our podcast. And we will now be <laughs> developing a new t-shirt. <laughs> 
don't judge a brain by its body. Um, I love that. Um, so so be sure to to be on the lookout for for that when that gets um, put up on the site. Please also share the podcast with friends and family. And if you can, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, because that is the way that we can begin to chart so others learn about our podcast and the discussion can continue to grow. So Apple Podcasts is like how the charting happens. Like all the charts have to do with your ratings on uh, Apple Podcasts. So if we continue to get ratings and reviews, we will continue to uh, be put on the charts. And if we're put on the charts, more people will hear about us. And that means that we can get the discussion growing even more. So, you know, that's the that's the hope. Um, so please try to rate and review us um, if you would like. And beginning Monday, we will also be holding an end of year giveaway on Instagram. So those reviews on Apple Podcasts will come in handy for contest entry. So this is how to enter. You'll need to follow us on Instagram at Blackbird Advocacy. You need to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And then you will comment on the giveaway post on Instagram with your Apple ID handle so we know who left a review so that we can audit and double check that you did indeed leave a review. And the winner will win a true crime tote gift set with our blood spatter tote bag and three lip stains in Heartbreaker, Femme Fatale, and Infamous. And they are really like nice dark red colors. And the lip stains are awesome. They truly stain. So like you want to make sure that you're getting them in the proper place on your lips. Otherwise, <laughs> they, they have a hard time coming off. But they're not going to come off like on your drinks and stuff like that. So they're fantastic. And the winner will be announced on January 2nd, 2021. So you have two weeks to do this contest. So please, please rate and review us. And uh, we will be heard by you tomorrow on our brand new Blackbird episode. And that's it. Thanks, guys. See ya.